Welcome to the Shady Grove Radio Podcast, a production of Shady Grove United Methodist Church in Mechanicsville, Virginia. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on, turn your radio on, and glory share. This week we'll hear a sermon from Mary Elder entitled, Who Do You Love? Based on Genesis 29, 15 through 30. Mary Colster, and I'll be reading from the NRSV version of the Bible, Genesis 29, 15, verses 15 through 30. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to but a few, few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah, his daughter Leah, to be her maid. When morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you? with you for Rachel. Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, this is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. He served Laban for another seven years. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Mary. So our um, when we were on our mission trip, I our youth began to talk about some of the stained glass we were seeing for some setup to this. Um, And one of the things they thought was really funny in a lot of the churches we went into is that all of the stained glass of baby Jesus, he had like a six pack. Um, (laughs) And we we started a really good conversation because they were just like asking really deep questions, trying to understand why there's injustice in the world and trying to learn together. and we talked about it, what it means that we, when we create images or when in, through art history we've created images of God, we make it a ripped white man, um, even when he's a baby, which is unnatural and weird. <laughs> 
And it raises a really good question of who it is that we're looking at and seeing as deserving of reverence, who it is that we're showing respect to, and who it is that we're loving well. And so I asked them after this conversation for their thoughts on the work we were doing and what they'd seen and the story of Rachel and Leah. So I'm going to try to do my best to incorporate both of these. That's going to be a little different, so bear with me here. But y'all, this story is so messy, right? It is full of family drama, cheating, deception, abuse, and neglect. These stories are long and messy and full of people just doing the wrong thing. They're troubling. It's hard to find God in them, and they don't always resolve perfectly. And I think because of that, there are some of the most obviously relatable to the world we live in today, because we can all find ourselves in this story at some point or another. Jacob, some people may remember, previously had disguised himself as his brother Esau to trick his father into claiming his older brother's blessing. After doing this, he was ready to get away from his brother who he'd just deceived. And so he comes to the land of his uncle, his mother's brother, to find a wife. He sees Rachel out a well and pretty much immediately falls in love. He thinks she's truly beautiful and as soon as she meets him and finds out who she is, she seems on board for the marriage as well. So he makes a deal with Laban, his uncle, to work for him for seven years in exchange for marriage to Rachel. And in the dark and drunkenness of his wedding night, he's married to a veiled Leah instead. He realizes this, makes a deal for seven more years of work for Rachel, and stays married to the two women, loving only Rachel, who he finds beautiful. <clears throat> An obvious takeaway from this is how much he must have loved Rachel to work for 14 years. Um, even seven was a pretty bad deal. His uncle should have been more considerate and taken care of his own family better than to ask for that kind of work just to marry his daughter, who he knew that Jacob was going to take good care of. And another, of course, is that what goes around comes around, right? Jacob has gotten his brother's birthright and his blessing. He's tricked his way into a financial position that he didn't earn or well, and wasn't even born into. There's definitely some fair of this in the fact that Jacob is finally being dealt the hand that he's dealt others and forced to choose to, to use his resources to support more, more family members, including one he didn't choose, right? The world would certainly be more equitable if we all did a better job of sharing our assets with others. But our youth's observation this past week was that every man in this story is making questionable decisions and doing what is wrong and unjust. They drew a comparison between Jacob and one of the men we interacted with and talked to and learned from who had previously struggled with substance use disorder and who most people had given up on. He had just about given up on himself before he wound up in recovery and ultimately working for a church. He was working for the church we were staying, helping to coordinate and organize their mission program that serves his hometown, Charlotte, and serves the community that he came from. But our youth also saw the similarity between these characters and ourselves, right? Because we have all faced hard times or wanted to give up whether it's from substance use or generational patterns of lying or anger, depression or a mental health crisis, or even just because of bad, uncontrollable circumstances around us. And we all need the reminder that God is at work even when the future seems hopeless. 
God's grace is present even when our past catches up to us. And that even those moments of pain, regret, and challenge have the potential to be transformed by grace and compassion. In the case of Freddie, a few people showed him compassion, took the time to look him in the eye and share with food with him, and a few people trusted him with a second chance. In the case of Jacob, God still had a plan to work in his life despite his deceit and deception and harm of his own family. God had a plan for him to learn from his past and start a family of his own. So the story doesn't end with our mistakes or our darkest times. We find new ways of being through hard work, forgiveness, and trust. And we can choose to see the goodness in others. We can even learn to forgive our regrets. And so boom, done. God's grace is at work and that's probably all I need to say about this, right? And truthfully, I could end right there. But we all know that it's not actually so easy to seek compassion and justice. And there may be no better example of that than Laban. Some scholars of this text have wondered about Laban's motives for getting Jacob to marry Leah as well as Rachel. Maybe he was just trying to make sure that his eldest daughter was taken care of to the same degree as Rachel, right? Maybe he was looking out for her. Maybe this so-called tradition that he talks about of marrying the eldest first was truly unavoidable and there was nothing he could have done to change the circumstances. But even if he does mean well, his decision leaves Leah in a loveless match and pits the two sisters against each other. It does so much harm to his daughters. And for many of us, this might be even more relatable. Who here, thinking we are doing what was best for our family, our children, our spouse, our friends, wound up hurting them more deeply than we knew we could? And as our work sites in Charlotte reminded us, how often does the work of the church accidentally leave bigger problems than we came to change? Who here has seen somebody asking for money and has turned the other way, assuming we knew what they would use it for, or maybe just being too uncomfortable to risk a deeper interaction? How often do efforts at beautifying cities create barriers to spikes on the a bench to prevent a homeless person from sleeping there, right? Or create barriers to people who are living in the areas that are already the most run down? or donations that aren't decomposable sent to areas with no waste management that just create environmental devastation instead. And much closer to home, how often do our attempts at hospitality here in this building wind up leaving people out because we are so absorbed or distracted by our own ideas about church, God, morality, or tradition? And so, like Laban and Jacob, we have to ask ourselves if we would enjoy being on the receiving end of not just our intentions, but also our actions. Check our motives and open ourselves to learn. We aren't loving people by, be, by doing what we think they need. And empathy, frankly, for all of us, takes a lot of practice and a lot of humility. Both Rachel and Leah absolutely deserve marriages that provide for them, but also both deserve to have agency and voice in their own futures. 
And I know we often tend to look at these situations in the Bible and assume that it was just the historical reality, but even in the story, they unite over how badly Laban has treated them and say, our father has treated us like property. So I think that kind of confirms that they really were dealt badly with, right? Leah deserves to be with somebody who agreed to marry her in the first place, and Rachel deserves not to be the second wife of the man who she wanted and who wanted her. And we have to wonder, what if Laban had taken the time to find an equal or different match for his eldest daughter? He had seven years to do something about it, right? Or what if Jacob had shown more love, not just to the woman he found beautiful in his own eyes, but also to Leah? And what if we took more care and consideration into our work for justice? What if we had more empathy towards our parents, friends, children, and the people we see in the street? And then even harder, I think, honestly, is how do we live in a society that doesn't do this well? Where it's our cultural tendency to love and be with people who only look like us or show kindness in the way that we think it deserves to be shown or that we are familiar with rather than taking the time to discover what is needed. So I see this reminder to not just treat people the way we think they deserve, but the way God truly sees them. God thought Leah was beautiful and deserved a good life. God thought Jacob deserved grace and compassion despite his mistakes. And listening with curiosity and humbling myself in the presence of people who know more than me has taught me a lot, and I'm sure will continue to. But the last characters who I'll talk about are Rachel and Leah, who I've made the heroines of this sermon because they are the survivors, and they choose to turn their stories around. I've cut a lot of my Barbie movie references, so you won't get any spoilers, but there were a lot of them. Um, Some people (laughs) might be familiar with the feeling of relationships where your own spirit and well-being suffered because somebody wanted something for you that you didn't want, or where you felt like you could never be enough for them. It's painful and frightening and lonely. And we learn about this in the relationship between Rachel and Leah. They compete over Jacob's love. They compete over trying to have and raise children. They perpetually are unsatisfied and trying to best one another. They've been put in a situation that neither one of them wanted and are reacting the way any person would by trying to get out. They're in a precarious place unable to support themselves for reasons outside their control, doing essential work to keep their family and community going, their young mothers, and so much more. And like people in those positions today, they are left underserved and underappreciated, fighting for the scraps. They feel no choice but to compete over limited resources to prove that they're better than others. And even if you aren't necessarily in an economically disadvantaged position, right? Like we all see parents competing over who's the best parent. We see siblings trying to fight for being the best in school. We see this everywhere we look, right? But these women do reclaim some of their own story. When they align together, it is advocates for themselves and their families, even against their father. They encourage Jacob to obey God and move home. They support him in taking flocks and leaving Laban, and they speak out against their father's abuse and neglect of them. And I think at this moment is where I really begin to see God's grace at work. 
Jacob leaves for his hometown. Laban is thwarted in his efforts to reclaim the livestock and children who he has promised to Jacob already. And the two women are given a promise of protection. When they reach Jacob's brother Esau, he shows his brother unexpected and probably undeserved forgiveness and love. Rachel and Leah's children do wind up being the ancestors of great nations. And despite the situations they've been put into, and despite their mistakes, God is still profoundly, deeply at work. It's a messy story. Most of it is not aspirational. It does not provide us for a good model of marriage, parenting, being a sibling or a friend. It is about flawed people doing more bad than good in situations they have a lot of doubts about. But when they do their best, it is enough. Because God is at work even in their flaws and when they use the strength that God has given them to look for the best in others, to show respect, to forgive, and to listen, miraculous things do happen. So as difficult as it can be for us to like and like, much less love those who we don't like the looks of, or we who we think maybe aren't living the way we think they should. And it can be even harder to admit that we have things to learn and to acknowledge that we have made mistakes even when we're doing our best. It's hard to allow others to see the parts of us that aren't pretty, right? And to believe that God has loved and formed all of us and is present in all of the situations we're faced with and can transform our mistakes. It's tough work, but let me tell you, if these folks in Genesis and this story can grow and learn and come together, so can we. So thanks be to God for that. Get a little heaven down in your soul. Get in touch with God. And turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Well, turn your radio on. And listen to the music in the air. Turn your radio on. Turn your radio on. Let glory share. Turn your lights down. Turn your lights down low. And listen to the master's radio. Get in touch with